when I was young, I was determined to be one of three things. I was determined to be either a doctor, an architect, or um, a military doctor. That's the idea that I had in my head, probably about ninth grade in high school, thinking it was going to be one of those three things. Okay, But as you can tell, God had a different plan. I uh, hated the math with architecture. And as far as being a doctor, completely dealing with blood, I've told some of y'all before, just taking a little bit of, of a blood sample out of me, if I look at it, causes me to about pass out. So I don't know what in the world I was thinking at the time, but God had a different plan. I think he's got a different plan or has a different plan for us as a church as well. We're not the typical church. I think in some ways, if you think about, about us, we're kind of painfully uncool, you know? Painfully uncool, we're small, but we're a, a genuine people, a real people that I believe are full of love, a desire to know and to honor God, if you will, and, and all the, the nooks and, and crannies of our messy lives. And I believe this is a place that you can, that you can come where you are, but if you stay and seek Him, that you'll be a much different person because of what God's doing in your life. And I think there's something about us, I was thinking about this this week, that's kind of like David and Goliath in a way. It's, we're small yet mighty, full of a, a passion for God that same kind of passion in some way that David had as he watched all of Israel sit on the sidelines and this guy was just ready to rush in. A passion for the Lord that, that he can use to take down giants. You know, I believe that. And, you know, this church has been through a lot, but I think you can be sure that we're a people who will never, ever give up. We won't lose sight of the calling that God has given us. You know, there's another guy in Scripture who is known for being small, okay? Another guy that's known for being small. A poor man has made more of a name for himself in the children's programs, right? Talking about, and he's got this song because of his little small stature. Who am I talking about? Yeah, Zacchaeus, the wee little man was he. So I don't even know the song. It just kind of makes me itch thinking about it. It's just that kind of old school song. But he's, he's made for more of a name for himself in a children's song for being short than about what was really great about him. What Jesus was really excited about when it came to Zacchaeus. And it wasn't because he was short. It wasn't because he was little in stature. Okay, All the short people are like, yeah, Zacchaeus this morning. Okay, Well, let's look at that story, if you will. So Luke 19 Verse 1 is where we see the story of Zacchaeus. 19.1, I think we've got it on the screen as well. That's good. So it says that Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. Now this guy was a, a chief tax collector and was rich. Okay? Chief tax collector. So one of the things about tax collectors. Everyone seems to always hate tax collectors, but this guy was like the chief tax collector. He was over other tax collectors. And during this period of time, what they would do is there was not any real regulation, in my understanding, that could just go up to you and say, you owe me this much. Maybe technically all you really owed was, 
you know, a thousand dollars. I'm using American terms, if you will, but but he could go to you and say, you owe me three thousand dollars. Of course, if he didn't pay it, he could throw you in prison. He could do whatever he wanted to. And so tax collectors were hated because of that abuse. But they were also rich. So this guy typically, and, and, and I believe Zacchaeus was, a, was an Israelite as well. So to be a part of the people of God, to be an Israelite, and to be someone that was also just exacting taxes from people to this extent was someone that was just truly hated, someone that was truly thought of as a very sinful person, very selfish person, all about me, and causing harm on everybody. But Zacchaeus, in this particular time, you know, as Jesus was going through uh, his ministry from stop to stop, the word about him spread, and Zacchaeus was curious about Jesus. He heard a lot of stories about Jesus, I assume, okay? And it says in verse 2 that he was seeking to see who Jesus was. He was seeking Jesus. Who is this guy? What is, he, what is he all about? But it says, but on account of the crowd, he could not because, here's, here's his famous aspect, because he was small in stature. He was a short tax collector. Okay? So he says he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. You think about rich people in general, they're not typically ones to go and climb trees to see somebody, are they? You know? They're the ones that, that hire the limos for someone else to take them where they want to go. They're not the type, in this case, for Zacchaeus to go ahead and climb a tree. He was desperate to see Jesus, to understand what was going on. So he climbs up in this tree. Verse 5 says, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up, and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but Jesus says, hey, come on down, Zach. You and I, we're going to spend some time together. This is where we continue to see how Jesus is so much different than all the other religious leaders. Of course, he was much more than a religious leader. We know that Jesus was and is God. But he says to Zacchaeus, come on down. Let's spend some time together. I'm assuming they probably ate lunch. Who knows what they did. But he went to go be at Zacchaeus' house. But what happens, of course, with the other religious leaders? This is what they say. So Zacchaeus comes down. They receive a great reception together and says, verse 7, And when they saw it, the religious folks, right, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. That's the typical response, unfortunately, that we see from religious people, if you will. In the, sometimes in organized religion, but Jesus was completely different. And we'll see why. He had a mission, the end of this passage, what his focus was. But Zacchaeus comes down and they, spend, they go to spend some time together. The other people are grumbling. But here's, here's what really makes Zacchaeus famous. Here's what really is exciting to Jesus about Zacchaeus. Not that songs should be sung about how short he is. Not that songs should be sung about how he climbed into a tree, but this. In verse 8, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, he said, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, 
I restore it fourfold. Fourfold. What a radical change of mind for this guy. Something clearly happened in his, in his following Jesus. I'm sure he had heard other things that Jesus said prior. Here's this moment. He's been listening to him, and he says, You know what, Jesus? I, I'm giving up half of everything I own to the poor. If I've messed anybody up, if I've defrauded them, we're going we're gonna to pay it back, and not just pay it back, but fourfold. And this is what Jesus says to him today. Salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. And this is what Jesus says, For the Son of Man, talking about himself, came to do what? Came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek and to save the lost. That was his mission stated very clearly. This is what Jesus is all about. He came to seek and to save the lost. There are so many that are still lost in this world, trying to find purpose, trying to find meaning, trying to find life and peace. And Zach, Zacchaeus found a life like that full of forgiveness, full of love, full of life, and full of peace. You know, there's a description of what happened to Zacchaeus. How do you go from a guy who is willing to... to abuse his situation and take all kinds of money from people so much that he got rich, okay, as a chief tax collector. How is there a, a change of mind? How is there a radical change where he decides to give up everything and, and to, to follow Jesus? There's a description of what happened to him and to others who've placed their faith in Jesus that's found in Romans 8. I want to talk about kind of the, the inside of what's really kind of happening, what took place or what takes place with change, with changes of heart, with change of mind. So in Romans chapter 8, let's take a look at that. We find a really great passage. It says this, it says, There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Isn't that exciting? Zacchaeus, come down and spend time with me today. Salvation has come to this house. There's therefore now no condemnation. If you give your life to Jesus, the condemnation is gone. We celebrated today what Jesus did on the cross. We celebrate forgiveness. We celebrate life and love. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It says this, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. If you read in, in Romans earlier, it's talking about in the Old Testament, uh, all these regulations and rules and things and, and how difficult it is to keep these things. But we know that, of course, Christ fulfilled everything for us on the cross. And there's now no condemnation. And we live by this a different thing here, if you will, and it says prior to chapter, chapter 8 and verse 7, I'm just going to read this to you, it's not on the screen, but it says, But now we're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. That's in Romans 7, 6. Is that right? I'm blind these days. There's now no condemnation 
For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Let's continue in verse 3. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the, on the things of the spirit. Now that sounds like a big mouthful, doesn't it? But there's two ways to live. There's, there's living in the flesh or there's living according to the spirit. Living in the flesh is living according to, to what the world teaches, to what the world offers. It's living that sinful life, okay? Living according to the Spirit is living according to the way of God. The things that He teaches us, the way that He teaches us to walk and to think and to live. A life lived in the flesh is death, but a life lived in the Spirit is life and peace. Zacchaeus at one time was living in the flesh. It was all about Zach. It was all about getting money. It was all about doing whatever in the world Zach wanted to do. But Zach had a change of heart. Zach had a change of mind. Zach wanted to go hunt down Jesus so much so that his ta chief tax collector, a short dude, climbed up into a tree to get a glimpse. But then it was all about giving up everything. The number one vice that he had in his life was all about this money. It was all about making more. It was all about abusing people. And he said to Jesus, I'm going to give up half of it, and I'm going to restore everything. That action was a symbol of a change of heart. It was a symbol of a change of mind. It was a symbol of saying, I'm going to go follow Jesus. Who knows what kind of conversation they had that day in Zach's house. But from that point forward, it would seem that Zacchaeus began to live in the Spirit. He began to follow Christ, to not live according to the flesh, but live according to the Spirit. And we're going to consider that a little bit more today. Okay? So, verse, let's go back to verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, we're going to talk about the mind a little bit today. You set your mind in the things of the flesh. Things you think about, the things you consider, the things you go after. There's a lot of stuff that happens in your head through the week, isn't there? Yeah? Life according to, to the flesh thinks about fleshly things, thinks about doing those kinds of things. Okay? For Zacchaeus, it would be like, all right, who's the next guy I can get some more money from? You know, who's, you know, whatever it might be. A mind set on the flesh does fleshly things, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Is your mind set on the flesh, or is your mind set on the Spirit? Where there's always going to be that wrestling between the flesh and the Spirit. Okay, and choosing to live according to the Spirit, to, as the Word says, to walk in the Spirit. Remember a good illustration a friend of mine shared one time, and he kind of describes this wrestling back and forth of the flesh and the Spirit. And he says, kind of considers it like two dogs, you know. 
and there's one dog represents the flesh, another dog represents the spirit, and they're in a fight. Who wins in that fight against those two dogs? And he said, it's really simple. It's whatever dog you feed the most. Are you feeding your mind with fleshly things or with spiritual things? The next verse says this. It says, for to set the mind on the flesh, this is in verse 6, is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is what? You talk now. It's life and it's peace. And you would think, fine, case closed, right? Who doesn't want life and peace? It's amazing how many dumb decisions and things that we do. The set the mind in the flesh is death, but the set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh, in verse 7 it says, is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, it's a great however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If you are a believer in Christ, you're not in the flesh, you're in the Spirit, it says. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. That's one of the amazing things about being a believer, about being a Christian, is it teaches that the Spirit of God dwells within us. There's still a wrestling match, if you will, at times, but it's a matter of us choosing to listen to the Spirit that God's caused to dwell within us, or ignoring him and doing things our own way. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand that struggle sometimes where you know what the Spirit of God is saying to you, but you choose to ignore it? There's a verse of Scripture that talks about grieving the Holy Spirit of God. And I believe that when you would choose to ignore what God says, when you ignore that Spirit, that you're grieving him. And that feeling that you feel as a believer when you've sinned, when you've done wrong, when you've ignored God that kind of goes to the pit of your stomach and your heart, I believe that comes from that grief. You think you're depressed from things you've done before? When you grieve the Spirit of God, it goes to a deep core inside of you that says, no, that was wrong. It's deep. We need to live in the Spirit. Let's look at what it says In verse 9 again, just to back up a little bit. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. The body that we carry around with us is still it's in this world, it still deals with sinful things, but the Spirit is what gives life. Now listen to this, this is cool. Verse 11, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. That's an amazing promise. The same power that rose Christ from the dead is at work within our lives. 
And though we walk around in this fleshly body that is, that is tempted, that is pulled towards sin so many times, the Spirit of God is there and gives us the ability to have life in these mortal bodies. That the bodies that we have, the mind that we have, our eyes, our ears, the things that we do, can actually, because of Jesus, begin to do the right things. Begin to honor Christ with our hands and our feet as we prayed this morning, with our eyes, with our ears, with our mouth, which can be really tough to say the right things, to think the right things. We have the ability through the Spirit of God that brings life to this flesh. Zacchaeus experienced that. We see, and, and, and if you're a Christian, you've experienced that, but it is a day-by-day day kind of thing. When it says to walk in the Spirit, means to listen to what the Spirit of God says. When you walk with someone, okay, if you are walking with your wife, you typically do what? You hold hands, at least I do. Maybe you don't, but you still walk side by side. If you're running on ahead or you're lagging behind, you're not walking together, are you? The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That's huge. You know, the Bible talks a lot about what it means to have a changed mind. And that that mind set on the spirit is so key talks about, about, a lot about having a changed mind, talks about having a, what it means to give up or to sacrifice our lives for God, which is essentially what Zacchaeus did. I'm giving up all this crap, all the stuff that doesn't matter, to come down and to follow you. Let's look at Romans chapter 12, and we're going we're gonna to camp there and finish up there today. Romans chapter 12, probably verse 1 and 2 are one of my favorites. He says, I appeal, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to do what? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I appeal to you. This is what you have to do. You have to become a living sacrifice. And those two words don't seem to go together, do they? You sacrifice something, you kill it. But we're, we walk around. He's not telling us to take our lives. That's why he says a living sacrifice. But what that means is though we walk around, though we, we live and we move and have our being, if you will, it needs to be with him. Our lives need to be placed on His altar. Everything that we are is Jesus. Everything that we become is because of Him. Every good thing comes from Him. Our lives, and this is what we struggle with day after day, is staying on the altar. And you've heard me share this before, but the only problem with a living sacrifice, right, is you can be on the altar one minute, and then you can run off the next. Because I really wanted to do this. No, 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 no. Stay put. 
Walk in the Spirit. So be a living sacrifice. It means all that you are is about Him and not yourself. That wrestling match is tough to stay put. So he says that, but he says this as well. And do not be conformed to this world. Don't be changed by the world. Be changed by Christ, okay? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Our minds, the way we think, the way we act, the people we talk to, you know, we, we, this is the way the world does things. Jesus says, this is the way I do things. How do we know the difference? We look in here. We look in Scripture. We, we look and see what God has to say. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You know, Zacchaeus heard some new things. He realized, because Jesus was saying things like, if you give up everything and follow me, that's, that's when you find life. If you're willing to, to focus on other people instead of yourself, if you're willing to follow me instead of yourself, there was this idea that was different. His mind was being renewed. So it says this, be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Check this out. A changed mind will constantly be tested. If you're willing to follow Christ, you are, you are continually going to come up against things and where your mind, the way you think about things, is tested. It says it here, be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. You're going to be in situations on a daily basis that you are tested. That you understand, that you discern what the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. You know, that, that, that day with Jesus as Zach had was probably an awesome day. But then the next day when Jesus continued on, you know, how did Zach live then? You know, his, his other cohort comes up to him and says, hey, I think we can get this other guy for twice as much money. What does he do then? Has there been a change of mind? Has there been a, is, he, is he discerning what God wants from him then? A changed mind will constantly... Be tested. Living the Christian life is very simple, as we've been talking about, but it's also very difficult in the sense that you've got to make the decision to choose Christ every, every opportunity. A changed mind will constantly be tested. Let's look at the rest of this chapter. It says, For by the grace given to me I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Think about that. What are we talking about here? We're talking about pride. Don't think high, more highly of yourself than you should. Don't think more about yourself than you should. You know, the, the, the biggest issue with sin, typically, I've seen people draw this before, right? If you're to draw sin on, a, sin on a board a little s, a big I, right? And a little n. 
pride, it seems, is always at the center of sin. Thinking about yourself, considering yourself. One of the things we're always going to be fighting as well is we're always going to be fighting pride. Thinking that we know better than others. Thinking that we know, here's the real key, thinking we know better than God. I really want to do this. God says, no, do this. I really think this would be better for me. No. God says, this is better for you. That process as well is a renewing of the mind. Realizing that you can indeed trust in God, knowing that He does love you, knowing that He does know the very best for you. You're going to be challenged to fight that pride on a regular basis. We continue through... Uh, Romans 12, what's cool about the rest of this chapter, though, too, is it says this. We don't do it by ourselves. That's what the church is for, right? Look at what it says. It says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same functions. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and we're individually members of one another. There's a connection there as a church. It says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Everybody's got a different gift that God has given you. If it's prophecy, use it in proportion to our, to, to our faith, right? In service, in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts, right? Or encourages, if you will, in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, do those with cheerfulness. We all need each other. Sometimes we need, to, we need that encouragement, that exhortation. We feel like we can't do it. We feel like in the struggle that we face, we can't go forward. Someone encourages you and reminds you what God has to say. Someone shows up to help you through it. It says in generosity, someone, someone, God has given someone an extra money who's not like Zach at the time prior to meeting Jesus, but says, you know what, I'm a channel of blessing. Let us help you with this scenario and this situation. Someone in teaching, I don't understand this. I don't know what this means. Let's talk about it. Let's, let's grow in our understanding and our knowledge of Christ. Someone has, 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 has a gift of, of mercy. And they're, they're that person who's, who's always there. My grandmother was a interesting, had an interesting conversation with her. She was in the hospital. My grandmother in New York was in the hospital for a week just recently. She actually had two heart attacks, didn't even know it. And she initially was telling me that she was, you know, just kind of, upset with God. Well, how come this is happening to me? And, you know, I've always tried to, to do things right, and I've always tried to eat the right way even, and I've tried to do this and that. And, and here she is having had these heart attacks, had to have a stint put in because it was like 90% blocked. And she felt like God said to her, you know what, Ruth? This is not about you. Because she was saying, I want... You know, I know you care about others and this, but I want you to be with me right now. I don't care about, and she, she felt like this is not about you. And it would be easy to say, well, Grandma, I, mean, I understand that. You know, you just had two heart attacks and you, you know, 
but she came out of this experience realizing that there are more important things than just her. It's amazing how God uses every scenario in our life to teach us and to remind us of things. I hear, hear, hear this from, from my grandmother this week. This, this whole aspect, she said that, and she just told me these things and reminded me of things that Jesus said, really, where he said, you know, you're going you're gonna to find real love, you're going to find real joy in serving others and telling others about Jesus and putting others first. And she was just really kind of preaching the gospel as I was just asking her how she was doing. Some really neat encouragement from her that was the opposite of the pride that we saw earlier. But we do need each other. Here's the last part of this aspect in Romans. I think this is a really cool section. As a, as a church, what we've started in this, this recent series, you know, who are we? You know, last week we talked about the fact that we are a church who believes in grace, but not just grace, grace and truth, right? Grace isn't grace without truth. It does no good if, if we're not telling people the truth. Grace is given to us so that we get back up and we live according to the truth. So we're, we're a church that believes in, in the grace and truth of God, but we're also a church, I believe, that, as I was mentioned earlier, is, is genuine. The, the name of the church is what? Is real life. How do we live real life but according to how Jesus teaches us. And we see a lot of other Christians that just seem fake and seem plastic and maybe you've been to places before we just don't seem like people are genuine. We want to be a genuine people. But we want to talk about real issues, talk about dealing with the real stuff as believers and how do we do that. This section right here, if, you've, if you see the title in your Bible, you might have different headings, but it's called here in mine it says, Marks of the True Christian. What does it look like to be genuine? What does it look like to be real? And it says this, it's just, this, this, there's always going to be this a fight to be the real thing, by the way. You know, this fight to be genuine, to be a true Christian, to be the real deal, a, a genuine Christian in a church that offers real life. What does the real deal look like? And what we see in verses 9 through through 21 is this comprehensive checklist, if you will, of, of what it should look like. And I'll almost encourage you just to, just to really continue to go through this list through the week. Maybe even write it out. Well, these are things we need to be reminded of to keep in front of us. And it says this. We're almost done. It says, let love be genuine. Okay? As real life church, I hope that's one of the top things of our list. Let our love be genuine. When someone walks in the door, you know, it's not about, hey, how you are? You go through the pleasantries, you don't really care about the person. You've, you've been there before. Have you met people like that that just kind of just seem plastic? Like, that person doesn't care about me. Let your love be real. Let your love be genuine. It's a love that comes from the heart. People know it, don't they? They know if you care about them or not. Our church, I hope that as people come in, it's not about another number. 
It's not about another body. It's not about another person. It's about truly loving someone. Let your love be genuine. Then it says this, Abhor what is evil, but hold fast to what is good. Do you, do you hate evil? Are you disgusted by it? Or are you kind of intrigued by it? Oh, well. Abhor evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with a brotherly affection. And it says, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another, you know? Uh, my, my boss this week is going to the beach with his, fam- with his extended family, and they're all there, and, and he told me before he left that they were having some kind of contest through the week to see who could be the kindest to each other, you know? And I thought, that's going to be interesting. <laughs> You know, that could be disastrous in some ways. But outdo each other. I was like, well, there's some scriptural basis for it, right? Outdo each other in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Don't be slothful in zeal. Where's your passion for Christ? Where is it at? Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. That's a tough one too, right? You're in the middle of a very difficult time to be patient to see how God's going to work this out. Be constant in prayer. That's a huge one. Sometimes I pray for you, right? Is that your life? I pray for you sometimes. When I think about you, I pray for you. And that's great. I'm sure everyone's thankful for any prayers they get. But do you have a life that's constant in prayer? To me, that's just like, that's the, for us, it seems like a whole other level. I remember thinking about my grandmother uh, who was in Florida, who would get up every morning at like 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, and she had a list. And she didn't have a list because she was a Pharisee. She had a list because she didn't want to forget I want to pray for these things every day. Are there people you know that are constant in prayer? That's been one of the most exciting things for me lately in my entire life, except for the last year. I feel like I have finally come to a place, at least, and I hope it just lasts more than the span of time, that I'm constant in prayer. I'm praying for all of you every day. You know how excited it is to say a man to say that? pretty dumb, I think, to be, have been a pastor all these years and not be constant in prayer, not be faithful in prayer. And there are times in our life where I think the Lord in particular the last year kind of has His ways of disciplining us, smacking us down to catch our attention, to put you in those places. Be constant in prayer. If you tell someone that you're praying for them, are you? That's huge. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. We're taking care of each other. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. That's tough, right? That's the American way. If someone, you know, cusses you out, what do you do? You're like, that's a trick question. I'm not answering. <laughs> you know, the tendency is to cuss them back. You know, we, the, the, so many 
shows that are on TV, they're all about revenge. And it's like, you know, such and such happened. And the, and the other guy, finally, the moment comes where he gets even. And, and we just salivate over those moments like, yeah, finally got what's coming to him. That person, what? They deserved it. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. See, Jesus has such a different way. Such an upside-down way, if you will, a different way of thinking than we do. That's why we have to be renewed in our minds. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Are there any unharmonious sections of your life? Probably. Do not, I like this, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Don't turn up your nose, right? You ever had your nose turned up at? It's a great feeling, isn't it? No. Never be wise in your own sight. That's that pride thing again. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. I like this. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. As much as you have control, are you creating peace in your life? Are you a peacemaker or are you one that stirs up things or responds to things? You're reactionary. It all starts at home, I think. You know, what, what's it like at home for you? Are you a peacemaker or are you just, or at work or on the road, where, wherever it is, you know? You guys know my struggle with traffic and dealing with that. I've got to be, I've got to have that mentality of peacemaker on the road. It's not that anyone else would know, but it's this angst on the inside. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I like that. As far as it depends on who? You. And the things that you can control bring peace. There are some things that are way out of your control. You know? But as far as it depends on you, you bring peace. Live peaceably with all. Beloved, I love this, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. God's in control. Vengeance is mine, this is a quote, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, this is interesting. You know, if you've ever caught this verse before, it actually comes from Proverbs originally. It says, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Wait, your enemy? Feed him if he's hungry, give him something to drink. It says, for... By so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome with evil. We'll get back. Burning coals. What does that mean? If you have an enemy and he's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And some of us are like, okay, yeah, there's some vengeance. <laughs> there's some burning coals on your head. You don't say it out loud, but you're thinking, yeah, God will get you. 
But you know what? Uh, and there's, there's some debate on what this means. It's a proverb. comes out of Proverbs initially. But what the real aspect is, and I, I tend to agree with this interpretation, is that this aspect of heaping coals on someone's head has more to do with igniting someone's conscience that's deadened. This person's your enemy, this person is mean to you, but if you show them love, there's something about showing them love when they expected anger and spite that ignites their conscience, that shames them in a way that says, what am I doing? It's kind of a, a slap in the face, a, 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 a coal, if you will, was kind of used to kind of start a fire, start a flame. Some people in other aspects of this verse even believe that if someone's na a neighbor was out of their fire had gone out, that they would take a basket and put coals in it and carry it on their head with this basket and take it over to ignite a fire. I don't know how realistic that is, but the idea is that, that it stirs their conscience. You want to really affect someone for good? Do good. You think about it, you know, if, if there's an argument between someone in your family or between someone else, it just it goes back and forth and it just ignites nothing but hate back and forth. But if all of a sudden someone has a change of heart and says, you know what, I'm going to offer love instead, what happens? It's just like, whoa, what's, what's going on? Why are you being kind to me? We're enemies. Kind of makes them tilt the head and think a little bit. And that's what you see Jesus teaching, too, right? If anyone, you know, uh, the, the soldier asks you to go a mile with them, you go, you go further, you go two, you go the extra mile. Someone, you know, we, we see that kind of as, that, that aspect from Jesus where he teaches to show love, even in the craziest of scenarios where it would seem so natural to get even. You've got the right now, right? to get even. You've got the right for these things, but he says, no, I want you to show love instead. Because really, God's in control. He says, vengeance is his. Let him deal with it. You, your job <clears throat> is to love. Because the very last part of this verse says, do not be overcome by evil, but Overcome evil with what? With good. This is the kind of church we need to be. We overcome evil with good. We love our enemies. We, we bless those who persecute us. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep. We live in harmony with one another. We live according to what Jesus says. This series, again, is Who Are We? You know, one of the things I was thinking of, and this is our closing remarks here, our, our titles remind us of who we are every day. Yeah. There's something about a title that reminds you who you are, or rather, who you should be, right? Here, here's a big one. Husband. What's that mean? You say that title, uh, as we, we think about husband, we think, okay, well, 
we think about who we are, but we think about what we should be sometimes, don't we? Wife. How about this one? How about father? What's that mean? And, and you know, thinking about you, David, now you can say that, right? Father. I'm sure he's thought about that a lot lately. Being a new dad, thinking, what kind of father will I be? Mother. Just keeping those titles in mind reminds us, well, if this is what a father is, if this is what a mother is, if this is what a, what a husband is, am I, am I doing those things? For me, uh, you know, I, and we have symbols we wear at times, don't we? This is a wedding ring. I think about husband. What does that mean? This ring on the other side was one I was given a while ago. That's it's got a uh, it's got a big cross on it. And one of the, the the titles that reminds me a lot of times as to what kind of person I should be is a very very scary title, pastor. That's terrifying. Never wanted to be a pastor. Never. What does that mean? Oh, you're a pastor? You know, okay, this is, your mind's in a whole new place. You have titles at work, too. People expect different things of you. Yeah, I'm also a communications manager. That means I'm supposed to be good with communications. I'm supposed to be good at this, supposed to be good at that. What's your title? But here's, here's the, one, the biggest one of all. You're a Christian. It's a very weighty title. You're a Christian who's a member of Real Life Church. I know who you are. You believe in you live a certain reminded of the passage that says they'll know we are Christians by what? By our love. How loving are you? There are times I ask myself, after a fit of anger that no one else sees but me driving in the car, you're a Christian? You're a pastor? God's called us to be a certain way, hasn't he? He's called us to be a church that, that is like this. To be, when we say real life, we need to be a church that is full of that kind of life. Would you stand with me this morning? Lord, help us to be what you've called us to be. Collectively and individually. Lord, we um, pray that we would walk in the Spirit. Lord, we pray that all those attributes that we mentioned, Lord, would be a deep and embedded part of our lives. Lord, help us to be more like you. Lord, change our minds. Lord, continue 
to work out the, the thoughts that are not right, the way we think of, of living that's not right. Help us to live according to what you say. Lord, because we know in you there's life and there's peace. Help us to represent you well. We love you. We thank you for this time together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Amen.